Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn about the power, principles, and practices of sharing information visually. Hi. (laughs) Hi, my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host. On this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thank you for taking time in your busy day to tune in. We really appreciate that. We hope that you use what you learn here, what you hear here. That would be even better. So in each of our shows, we look at some aspect of how visuality allows you to embed the intelligence of your operational system, your intelligence, into what I call the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. This is your intelligence in action as visual devices, as visual systems. You are installing the details of your current level of operational excellence, even if you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be, you install that and it functions and you build from there. Whether you work in a factory, healthcare, office, open pit mine, military depot, government agency, it just doesn't matter. Visuality is for the world of information and work is about information. And what we get as a result is stunning bottom line results. We get improvements in safety, quality, cost, productivity, and of course, on-time delivery. And we get cultural alignment that is spirited and engaged because what we are installing is a language and language connects. And we also enjoy ourselves at work. Three big benefits, bottom line results, cultural alignment, and joy at work. Oh, boy. (laughs) We flow because the struggle has ended. Mm? Visuality, welcome. I'm very, very happy to be talking to you today. I'm following on today with doorway number three at last. We're marching through the doorway model, the model of 10 doorways, which is the model that has evolved over a number of decades. Actually, I conceived of it about 1991 as a way of segmenting categories of visual function, and I saw that there was a corollary on the operational, functional level of, of um, people by departments, as it were. So doorway number one is for operators, doorway number two for supervisors, engineers, and managers. Doorway number three is also for supervisors, managers, and engineers. This is displays. And on and on and on. Okay. We talked about doorways. I think I introduced them in the third show of this year. You can find that on our website, visualworkplace.com. There's a radio page. There's also a page of articles that you might be interested in. There's about 100, 150 articles that are in categories. We're going to try to find a way to make them searchable by keywords. We haven't quite done that yet, but it's on our list. The articles are, uh, there is a description of each of the doorways in the articles, and of course, there's full descriptions in my book, in my books. Uh, The best book for the doorway system is Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. That was published in 2005. It won the Shingo Prize, and we did a second edition two years ago. The second edition is superior in terms of some refinements that have inevitably come over the 10 years of continuing practice. And I think the photos are pretty much the same. The images have been upgraded. They're much clearer and uh, and readable. And then there's the Work That Makes Sense book and Smart Simple Design and Visual Systems and the Handbook for operators, and on and on. So we like to put our knowledge and our know-how into form. And that's the purpose of this radio show, that it is sharing with you the knowledge and know-how that I have built over these last 30, 35 years. It's been a glorious, glorious 
journey for me, one of learning and um, revelation, really, um, beginning to understand how visuality <laughs> works pretty darn well and uh, and how it interfaces with lean and which is very, very strongly. We'll do a whole show on the Visual Lean Alliance, Two Wings of a Bird. So I want to thank you also before I begin going into doorway number three. I want to thank you for your emails that you've been sending to radio at visualworkplace.com. That's a good way to reach me as well. Uh, someone looks at it and they pass on to me anything that I need to respond to. Radio at visualworkplace.com. And again, our website is visualworkplace.com. You'll see lots of things there. We, we're, we're building it. Uh, we're putting more and more. And we want to share our knowledge in a free form. We are also in business, so we're interested in selling our products. But we also want to make sure that there's a basic education for anyone who wants it. Visualworkplace.com. So thank you very much. So let's begin with doorway number three. Doorway number three is owned by supervisors, managers, and schedulers, planners. And when I say owned, it means that this category, visual displays and production control boards, visual scheduling, is the aligned function with the need to know of managers, supervisors, and schedulers. They own the schedule. They and planners. They own the schedule. They are interested in the schedule. Now let's help them see it. Let's help them investigate it. Let's help them understand it thoroughly. Displays are the perfect format for this. Visual displays are actually a higher aspect or dimension of visual standards because they capture the same range of questions that you capture in visual standards, your specifications, which we talked about last week in the last show, the where, the what, the when, the who, how many, and how, the six core questions, these fundamental questions of operations. In visual standards, we put them in a flat, laminated format so people can use them as a reference. It's kind of like a book made of one pages, big, big pictures, big words, easy to follow, segmented. In visual displays, we're going to make that information interactive on a format that will be pretty much a wall. (laughs) I like to think of it as a wall. So that we can understand the status of a given situation in a single glance and make sound decisions and confidently take timely, appropriate, and aligned actions based on the information in that display. So completeness becomes pretty important, but you don't begin there. I want to take a moment and kind of clear the questions that may be arriving in your mind. Why do I need a physical visual display, something as big as a wall, for heaven's sakes, if I have a computer? All the information is there. Well, if you're not well acquainted, if you haven't had the experience of the superb functionality of visual displays, and I'm using displays um, as a, a bucket label, for all of the scheduling or the information that is shared through these large formats that's interactive, that changes. It isn't just an announcement that says this is what the schedule is. It shows you how the schedule or whatever the sector of interest for you is. Let me get to that in a moment. I'm thinking of schedule because we've just had a resounding success with one of our clients with um, creating uh, the schedule, and then it's had tremendous repercussions throughout the company. Mm, Sorry, that was a long sentence. So with displays, uh, I'm using it uh, as, as the bucket label. If you're not acquainted with the functionality of displays, you might say, you might ask, why are displays needed at all? You may point to the computer as the tool of choice because it's capable of sharing tons, tons more information than a display and faster and in ever spiraling layers of complexity. We know, we know, and that is the problem. We know that it's capable of sharing tons of information, but how do you get to it? 
How do you actually get to the information you need? So when we start a visual display, we start from a very modest point, but it is powerful. If you want to try this out for yourself, it'll work. You start from your need to know. We call it the operator's, sorry, the supervisor's pain. We want to know what is the burning question that a supervisor has, period. Capture it then on a two-dimensional format. What is your burning question? What is your need to know? And when we do this in training, and you can try this out. <clears throat> in fact, I, as I say, I think you'll be very successful. You start developing your, your displays not by edict, not by mandate, not by the voice of the boss, but by your voice, the voice of the user. What is it that I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work? Only my work right now is planner. My work right now is manager. I'm a supervisor. I'm an engineer. What is my need to know? And that need to know will dictate what the information that's on that format. It's not everything. It's that thing. And this automatically gives you a powerful center to your display. And I call it, the shorthand is, what's eating your lunch? (laughs) What's eating your lunch? With rare exception, visual displays will start from there. A supervisor, and I'll use a supervisor as the, again, the generic for everyone who is involved in displays, the the group that I keep naming of managers, planners, schedules, etc., engineers. They start from the supervisor's own personal need to know. Supervisors struggle to keep track of dozens of data points that constantly change, and these in turn trigger dozens of macro and micro decisions during the course of a single work shift. Time to alert an upstream customer that the unit will will arrive later than previously thought or earlier than previously thought. Time to perform an unscheduled changeover in order to compensate for that time. Time to shift three assemblers over to the downstream downstream operation where a, a bottleneck is beginning to form. And oh gosh, the second shift cell leader is not going to make it in. Stomach flu again. Without a display that captures the latest information in real time, supervisors are in a constant state of alert and alarm because one or the other operational detail is or is not tipping in in a favorable direction. They have no idea which or when or how they will respond until it actually happens. And supervisors feel out of control. The supervisor's pain. They feel out of control. The purpose of a visual display at its highest level of performance is to make that pain visible and put it in a two-dimensional format that interacts, that actually watches the information behave. And this is a very important point about displays. It isn't static information. It isn't simply a report. I am not saying get rid of your reports. Get rid of your hour by hour, but I'm saying you also need to understand how that hour by hour behaves, the variations, the deviations, the complexity. It isn't one-dimensional any more than your work is one-dimensional. It is multifaceted. It is synergistic. It is one variable colliding with another variable. In a traditional setting, let's say manufacturing, in a traditional manufacturing setting, the truth is one of the most elusive elements of the work environment. Look as you might, you simply cannot find it. (laughs) You may see it moving across the distant horizon, but as you move towards it, it changes or disappears. So we want what we want is to establish the truth as it is behaving now. Okay? I'm thinking about Frank Mulder, who worked at World Autobomb Trailers. And Frank had worked as uh, for 20 years there. And he was, a su- he was the chief of the stores of the magazine, Frank Mulder. Mm-hmm. Fantastic guy. And he had a complex job. He needed to know everything. 
He was in charge of stores. He had 50 material handlers. He had inspectors. He had the store staff. And they were across, working across two, sometimes three shifts. And Frank lost track of the detail. And on top of that, the culture in that company was, I've got a problem at home and I need you to make an exception at work. At the time, this was at the beginning of our work together. The company now is running beautifully. The culture is aligned. But this was way back when. His direct, his direct reports, these forklift drivers and, and material handlers, they would pretty much come and go as they wished. They would decide to leave early at a moment's notice or come in late because little Greta couldn't find her tutu and this actually happened. So the schedule was whimsical at best. It was also hidden in the computer. And his complaint, his pain was he couldn't get to his own work until he had settled the commotion. Now, you may say, you know, the guy needed training. Well, the fact of the matter is he needed help. And he took it into his own hands to capture his pain in an interactive format. And what he did was capture his schedule. He made a list of all of his employees, all 15 of them. He color-coded the tasks. And then he mapped out three weeks on three different planks of, of um boards, and he would map out the schedule for three weeks. And that gave him a still point. That gave him a stable center. He said, this is a schedule for three weeks. If you want to change anything, let's go to the board and change it. I don't want to have to go looking for it. I need a sense of control over my corner of the world. That's what he was seeking. And when we taught this, we said, we want you to walk away from this day and a half workshop with a sense of control. And then we want you to grab that control, put it into the display you just designed and see if it addresses your need for control and your need if the pain lessens. So you begin with your need to know. You begin with this discomfort that you have. It's very, very important to let your supervisors, and remember, I'm including in engineers, managers, and planners, identify what's eating their lunch and then capture it. You'll still run all your other information gathering mechanisms, but how are you going to help your supervisors stabilize, perform, grow, grow? grow, grow into leaders, for example. You can't become a leader if you don't have a sense of control, if you don't know which way up is, if you don't know where the destination is. The model of the 10 doorways is laced with the the theme or the requirement of I-driven. We want the personality of the person. We do not want to denature humans into knowable, homogenized units. We want their personality. And if we are developing a language, because that is what we're doing, an operational language in visuality, when we put our foot upon that path, that means we need to listen to the nuance. And the formats need to allow the nuance. This is exactly what happens in doorway number one when operators are leading visuality within the methodology but their ideas are ideas that are important for the performance of their own work. They want control. They want a sense of mastery, and so do supervisors. So the displays are there to allow a focus to evolve that gives the supervisor this sense of control. Okay. And when we do, I'll just describe a visual displays workshop. So there's usually... 22, 25 is the absolute limit. Uh, That's if I'm training it um, because I'm pretty good, but I still will need an assistant for coaching, usually somebody local. We usually do displays after three months of, um, of doorway one after the shop floor begins to kind of reveal its problems on the operator level. People begin to see that there is granularity to the problems that are happening on the operator levels and the operators begin to address the problems that they're address that they're encountering and that reveals the part that doesn't belong to the operator. 
So we have a displays workshop, and I have an end in mind, and it isn't just the outcome of this workshop. It's much uh, more comprehensive than that. Perhaps I can uh, articulate that for you uh, immediately after this section. But the first thing we do, the section is about the training, is that if I can, I ask whoever it is that sponsored me, usually the plant manager or the GM, would you please be there at the beginning of the workshop and please say something that sounds like this. And they'll understand it because we would have gone through what the mechanism and the format is of the uh, the workshop. Something like there's 24 of you, there's 22 of you, and here's what I want. This is in the voice of, for example, Hank Notabaum. And you know what? I want to see 18 different kinds of displays. I do not want them to look alike. In my in our last show, last week, we talked about standardizing too soon, and I'll do a whole show on this and unnest it, hopefully so that the logic makes, makes sense to you. It certainly makes sense to me. You do not want to standardize the visual language before it is developed because then you'll be standardizing it too soon. It won't be rich. It won't be ample. It won't be adequate. It will simply be a kind of paste on label. You want these visual formats to actually be robust. And the robust quality comes because a human being with a real problem is trying to capture their dilemma, in the case of displays, on a two-dimensional format. And it is sincere. It is more than curiosity. It is, I will conquer this. It is a compulsion. I'm going to figure out how I can get this baby under control, how I can take, I can get my out of control, for example, overdues, or that raw material is arriving, it's the wrong material, or that I have too much, or that I have too little, or my, uh, my forklift drivers and material handlers Never settle down into their job. They're always giving me their excuses. Where can I find a quiet center in that that I can control? It may seem obvious to you that Frank would put his schedule up, but he made the schedule interactive so that it could change. And it made he made it very clear of who was doing exactly what. So if the change happened, the change had to be balanced with other components that were also movable. That gave him the power to accept a change or say, sorry, I can't accommodate it, and the, and the evidence would be there in front of the board. So he kind of built in a negotiating uh, condition as well, something reasonable. He was a very, very kind person. He wasn't the kind of person who just declared things and expected you, through the power of his personality or his authority, to do it. It wasn't the kind of culture that Hank Nordbaum wanted to develop anyway. Okay, this is in Holland, so people are pretty direct. And they were learning a new way. And so Hank makes this announcement. He said, you know, there are 22 of you. I want 18 different boards. I actually don't want you to worry about how these are going to blend or how to replicate them. I want you to take care of yourself. What do you need to know? Do that. I'll be back tomorrow around 10 o'clock, and I'll look at your boards. And he goes. And then we teach the paradigm of visual displays, and how it works, do some other things, and people begin to work. They begin to work to get, you know, we work with flip charts and post-its. They work to get the format to speak to them, to capture the dimensions of meaning. This is a term of art. The dimensions of meaning that allow this situation, what's eating my lunch, to be clear to me. And I am also going to look for doorways to go deeper. So if there is a problem, for example, it might be about machine the machine utilization for the Okuma. The Okuma. <laughs> it might be for that. And you may be looking at the utilization of the machine, but over to the right or the left, you'll have another dimension of that 
utilization that might have to do with changeovers. It might have to do with um, preventive maintenance. It might have to do with unscheduled downtime. All of these dimensions, these impact, these factors that are impacting the uh, utilization of the machine are all there in a single format, growing, growing in a constellation until you say, yes, good. I can keep track of that, and that is going to help me understand. Typically what happens is you choose a single focus. This is what we advise and all but require, a single focus, and you drill deep. Because as I said several times in our time together, when we look at operational excellence, it is singularly about causality. And so we use the displays for the supervisor to find causality within his realm, within that domain that he's responsible for. This becomes riveting work. It doesn't have to be motivated. It doesn't have to be urged. People are interested because it's their pain and they can see in that mechanism factors of information interacting with each other and they go after them. The first round of visual displays that comes out of the first level of the workshop are individual displays that are capturing the supervisor's pain. But when they get up into, onto the production floor, and you can think of this as the hospital floor as well, to the extent that you can share information publicly, information about whatever it is that's eating your lunch, there's lots of ways to mask it and lots of ways to put it in a, um, in a closet, cover it. We become interested in it and we solve that, that problem. But if you move back 10 or 15 feet or 20 or 30, you will begin to see that the, the displays are talking to each other. That what is happening two departments away is causing a behavioral response from the display three departments down the, the line. And over there as well, and over there as well. The displays begin to talk to each other. When you see that, then we're getting closer to one of the milestones in visual displays, which is to actually create a scheduling display. A display, and this is moving us towards, if you're familiar with the term, an obeyer room. The obeyer rooms in Japan are precision instruments and even though you may not, because most of us don't speak that language, understand what the interaction is about, these are mature devices, mature formats that are constantly supporting causality. Another way of saying causality in the negative is problem solving. We are looking at the displays in terms of schedules not to confirm the schedule, but to find out where the holes are, where the wiggle is. This becomes so interesting. We had this experience over the last six months. This has been such a celebration. And one of our clients, that's a non-USA client, it took us for a very, very long time after the initial workshop to get to the place where we could move to what happens after you see that the displays are actually talking to each other. One is the effect of the cause. One is the cause of the effect. And we begin to have this synergy. We begin to see that the plant is connected physically and visually and causatively through these displays. We can finally see it. We knew it, but we didn't have evidence of it. And we were trying to get to the second milestone. The first one was to get... senior manager to say yes let's do displays because I know full well once we start displays if you support me through the second milestone it can be a revolution to the plant you got to move very easily through this people underrate displays they think hour by hour is is telling them something it's only it's only the barest of beginnings there's so much more it's all these levels so the second milestone is to do a visual displays. We were doing it department level. Planners were uh, were capturing their ouch uh, back in the back. 
Uh, two women did a wonderful display about the inventory levels in, uh, in the storerooms where the component parts were stored. And they were beginning through this display to see what was going on through this two-dimensional interactive format and other wonderful breakthroughs like this. And what I needed to move to Milestone 2 was a wall, an unfettered, unoccupied, unpopulated wall, preferably in a room so there could be quiet, enough quiet to have a discussion. It took six months. It took from, was it July until December? Something like that. The memory fades. And finally, the plant manager miraculously said, okay, I'm going to move my desk and you can have the area that my desk is in. And he did. It was incredible. He moved his desk. He moved in with his direct reports. And he gave us the space, which was a long, narrow room. It was about, oh, I'd say six feet wide and 10 feet long. So it was long and narrow with a window at one end. They built a wall and built some moving doors. And we finally had a a clear wall and a place to meet. And a wonderful, wonderful gentleman put up uh, the display. A gentleman named Jorge, I won't use last names because I don't want to get hollered at, Jorge and Edgardo, they put up this wall and they began to attempt to capture the schedule, but to capture it in the terms of what is it that I need to know? What do I need to know about the schedule? Not that it happens, but its internal themes, its granularity. It's causative factors. I need to have enough level of detail and they need to be, this detail needs to be connected for me to be able to see the behavior. And they put it up and they experimented. They went through something like six iterations. We always say, don't turn it into something permanent unless in Rolls-Royce it was 13 iterations. It had to go through 13 iterations. In this particular plant, it was about six iterations until they said, yeah, this will be interesting. And then they brought the business unit leader into it. And the business unit leader looked at it and he began to lead the sessions of discovery. These are sessions of discovery. So if you have an obeyer room and you don't have the feeling when you enter that room that something, some adventure is going to happen, you're going to discover or learn or understand something more than you did before you entered the room, then work to create uh, a platform of discovery. You're, you need some other dimensions of meaning so that you can see how the behavior of the schedule is actually caused. I hope you're getting this. This is so powerful and so interesting. Interesting for the people who are both building the board and interfacing with it. It becomes an appetite that people have when they enter the plant. They know they're going to have their meaning. It's going to be 8.30. It's, you know, there's a clock on the wall and the clock is segmented off into the first first 10 minutes, the last five minutes. And after those 15 minutes, something will be revealed. They'll have their action items. There's lots and lots of pieces that you can add to make that information more meaningful and more actionable. This is moving us into the area of visual management. Visual management and visual displays represents about 10 to 12% of the power of visuality to help you achieve operational excellence. It is not everything, but it is important. 10 to 12% is a lot. Doorway number one is 10 to 12%, maybe 10 to 15% because it represents stability When you put the visual wear in place, you have a stable operational landscape from the point of view of your operators. And that allows you to move in many directions, create many, many, many improvements. This is is highly amplified 5S. This is 5S that functions on a performance level, not just a neat and clean and orderly level, but a performance level, a mastery level. So the displays then... uh, 
evolve. To begin with, they take they address your pain. You're able to capture it. You're able to see it behave. You're able to go after it. Probably if your plant is new to displays, you're not yet in a powerful position to solve problems, but you can see them. And you at least have understanding. And understanding is a big step towards kind of mental clarity and psychological uh, health. At least I understand. I may not be able to change it right now because there are so many factors interacting with each other. That's the nature of work. All of these variables. But I understand it. And from there, you move towards um, a more, what is a good word for that? I don't want to say complex, but a more comprehensive view. And that becomes the center of your plant experience shift by shift. Workplace information can change quickly and often. Products, schedules, specifications, tooling, parts, methods, and the thousands of other details on which the daily life of the enterprise depends. How can busy, often harried supervisors and managers stay on top of this ever-shifting detail and still make sound, timely decisions? That's the purpose of displays. The displays are for the decisions. And to make decisions, you need to have layered information in a single place, co-located, a single interactive format, so we are able to see and understand complex, uh, the complex phenomenon we call information at a glance, understand a situation status, and take corrective, timely, and independent action, and this is the driving point, based only on the information in that display. If you are pulling from another pot of data to make the, the, uh, the decision, then get that pot up there and call it another segment of your display so that the display holds all the factors. And this will evolve. Let it evolve. You just need to keep your intelligence alive and open to notice, ah, we're actually talking about something that isn't on the board or near the board anywhere in this room. Let's get that up there too and watch it behave. At the beginning, I want to give you another. I realize that this is not so much a a discussion of step-by-step protocol, and that's not my intention. My intention is to give you a sense of how displays can work so that you expand the possibility in your own mind. The thing that's so great about visuality is because it is information and meaning-based, you can keep building it just the way our language has evolved over these thousands of years. Evolved and changed mightily. The idioms, the, the everything, the spelling, the context, the definitions. It has evolved, but it has kept pace. Language is a kind of perfect reflection of our society. Whether it's 14th century, 17th, 20th, or 21st century. Language is evolving, and that's the way it is in visuality. So, at the beginning, you are narrow-focused on your pain, then you move it to a larger format, you build a display, you might call it visual scheduling by now, usually the schedule, I, I can't think of a single example in my work where the schedule doesn't hold all things because the schedule is time-based and visuality is information-based. And when those two come together, you get a very, very ripe, very rich description of reality. And and, and its purpose is to illuminate. We want to illuminate cause. We want to be able to drive towards our destinations, towards our improved KPIs with full awareness with a a, a sensitivity, a precision that is not available to us when we're running around with the schedule on little pieces of paper in our pocket or when the computer is spitting it out, doing the best job it can, which is to spit out information, but it can't calibrate it. It can't nuance it. It can't help you discover and discuss. 
it can simply show you. It just spits out information. Okay? Among a display's remarkable characteristics characteristics is that it's capable of holding vast amounts of information that is interrelated, interrelated information in real time for all to see, enabling us to understand at a glance the status of a given situation, make sound decisions, either as an individual or as a group, and take timely, aligned, appropriate action. Okay? So I want to encourage you on doorway number three, visual displays, production control boards, visual scheduling, obeya rooms, to consider this as a piece of your operational modality, your operational system, and to develop it. To develop one, and then to develop multiples. To develop, Japanese call it an obeya room, I, you can call it an OPEX room in order to organize mission-critical information in a format that is highly visual and highly flexible. You need that flexibility. You need to know, you need to be able to dig into what does the information mean. I want to just, as a point of clarification, say to you, I want to take a little aside and say, many of you have experienced the power of team boards. Team boards is another two-dimensional format that come in a wide variety of layouts, as many as there are teams, with each team fashioning the format to its need. The purpose is always the same, to provide the team with a focal point, a visual focal point for idea generation, discussion, decision-making, activity tracking. It's powerful and it's important. A visual team board has a more generic purpose. It is not about solving the problem, for example, or the problems in a display. It is about helping the team interact and perform more effectively. But that's a completely uh, fabulous goal, fabulous outcome. Lots of color-coded sticky notes and lots of arrows and interaction. It's wonderful to see a board uh, surrounded by a team and you and the team is using that board interactively to help it understand how to move forward. It's the same idea. And you can have boards, for example, in healthcare production control boards that might have to do with outpatient uh, activity or it might have to do with uh, releasing people from the hospital. You know, the, the what are the factors? Is everything in place in order for this patient to be released? Is there someone at home? Do we have transportation ar- uh, arranged? Is there any special special needs that we need to identify? Let's do it. And let's do it by seven because... These seven people are leaving in the next four days. You know what? Let's do it by 30 because that's how many people are on the ward. And we need to keep track, understand, identify their readiness as well when the time comes, the likelihood, when the day, when the, how many days until. All of these components. Visual displays, I'm using that generically, are capable of handling complex, multi-layered various information and the information talks to each other. They're about a single outcome, about customer service, about keeping our patients happy and healthy, about getting on time delivery if we're in manufacturing. That means highest quality, best cost, on time, all of that. If you try to do your production work without displays, you have to be extremely advanced in operational excellence. It is only a company that is at the far end of that journey 
at or very near that destination where these mechanisms begin to disappear where they're no longer needed. Up until then, they're the glue that holds the journey together. And they are eye-driven. Do not standardize these too soon. If you do, they will lose their granularity and you will simply have information without context. You won't be able to make a decision on that information because some component will be missing. So please, please keep this in mind. You can start, let me give you another doorway in if you want to experiment with displays. And I, I also want to, I want to remind you that they begin with what do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work, in order to accomplish my goals, in order to do what I've been hired to do. What do I need to know? And you usually segment those by shift rather than by week, but by shift. And then you can do it hour by hour. And I want to also mention that when you begin to display your need to know, it automatically addresses the second driving question of a visual workplace, which is what do I need to share? The sharing aspect is powerful, but it is a byproduct. You can make displays about what do I need to share, but in my experience, they are always secondary to the driver, which is what do I need to know. I want to make mention in the short amount of time I have left that what happens when information is liberated in the workplace is that the human will is liberated. I have seen repeatedly through my many, many years in this field the blossoming of the people who use these devices on every level, on every doorway, the blossoming of people into a fuller version of themselves. A fuller version. If they want to become a leader, they will move easily into leadership because the confidence comes from a sense of control. You know, you may find it contradictory to be talking about eye-driven and control, but in fact, the human psychology is such as that when we feel unsafe, physically, of course, and psychologically as well, if we feel under threat, we will not be able to bring forth the best in us because we are in fear. This is what our friend Deming said. I believe it was his principle 14. It's over there underneath the flower pot. I have a little something that actually Deming gave me. What a grumpy man he was. So grumpy. Oh, my goodness. But what a brilliant mind. What a contribution. And it is drive out fear. Drive out fear. You think about that. Wow. You drive out fear. And you know what? We relax. Fear requirement is different than fear. Requirement will produce fear. But fear comes from a lack of control. A sense of a lack of control. I should say a sense of a lack of control. And what happens with displays, which is what we saw with the group, is that people grow. The business unit leader, who was such a fine person, and he wanted so much to contribute more greatly when I met him two, three years ago. I can't use his name. I'm going to call him, oh, let me find a name. I've used the name Jorge. Let's see, let me find it. I'll, I'll use the name Miguel. That is not his name. Miguel wanted to contribute so much, and he didn't know how. He didn't know how to master his job. He was a business unit leader. And so when Edgardo and, and Jorge finished their uh, their rendition, their version of the display, they handed it over to uh, to Miguel. I don't think I named him before. And Miguel took it over, and he's been using this now for six, seven months, and he has come up as a leader. He's exquisite, strong, confident, forward-moving, taking chances. He comes in with stories about Churchill and Napoleon. The first 45 seconds of his session every day is some kind of inspirational story, and he's become in his own eyes and in our eyes, a leader in that plant. 
and he recognizes that and he can see the change in himself because he was able to understand the situation and to go deeper and deeper and to require people, hey, go look after this. Go look after that. One thing I didn't tell you I'm going to try to squeeze in is at the beginning of displays, excuse me, I just want to give you this data, this um, informational point. You construct a display and you populate it yourself. And I, I, I'll go, I'll spend a whole session on displays in a deeper level than this, but for the doorway for today to put a, a ribbon on it, you, you create a display where you are in charge of the information and you collect it yourself. You don't delegate it. That's very, very important. We don't want to build dependencies and we don't want to build expectations when we're going after our need to know. We want to populate our need to know ourselves. As that evolves and individuals are responsible for their own first cycle displays, when they get to this point, the visual scheduling I was just describing, many people are responsible for populating the information on that display, for coming back with what's the status now, and that gets marked on the spot. A lot of the marking, a lot of the notation happens before the session begins, but also during the session there's notation as well. This is an, an alive process. It's dynamic. It's real. It is what allows this person to grow and to make a greater and greater contribution. Every person in that room, there's usually 15, 16 people, last 15 minutes. Lots of activity or lots of tasks are generated, and the whole situation is moving forward in a very, very positive and uh, a complete way. So... I hope that gives you a sense of Doorway 3. It, is, it belongs to supervisors, managers, planners, engineers, people who have responsibility and have a different category of need to know. Turn them loose on this. What do I need to know? Just begin there. You'll get wonderful displays out of that. So I'm going to thank you very much. I've, as usual, enjoyed sharing what I've learned and I look forward to your responses. Please send them to radio at visualworkplace.com. We are listening and we are happy to respond. Send us your pictures, your questions. Thank you very much. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.